Welcome back to Reply Guys. I'm Kate Willett. And I'm one of the shaky. Um, so we're back this week into our regular swing of things. Um, we have a yes. great interview coming up for you uh, with uh, Connor Hablib, who is running for Congress in Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm. But first, we have to talk about something really hard, which is a war. Um I know, I know. There's a there's a work uh, coming up, or maybe it's happening in silence that we just learned about today. Yeah, we're not talking about the war in Ukraine because that would be weird. We're, we're not just even like, talking I just about literally the, heard about. Yeah, we're not even talking about uh, any of the ongoing conflicts uh, in the Middle East. No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. It's a new one. It's. Uh, I found it on Newsweek today, and it's uh, called "Woke War 3. This is which, which means there was a "Woke War One" and "Woke War 2 that we missed. Yeah, this is um really sad. Just thinking about how many lives are going to be lost in "Woke War 3. So many lives ruined, and it's the media is not talking about it which is classic, you know, where's CNN, where's, where's, you know, uh, Al Jazeera, why are they not talking about this? Uh, uh, it needs, it needs coverage. And the the guy who wrote this is David Sachs, and he's, <laughs> he's a venture, venture capitalist and co-host of the All In podcast. Oh my God, I, it's so weird venture that venture capitalist, capitalist, yeah. The second I see that, I'm like, yes, I would love to hear what this person has to say. I'm sure it's going to be very like a, a great conversation, like a great article, uh, not reactionary at all. And it will be very sane. It's to me, it's uh, just always exciting when a venture capitalist has a podcast. You know, there's not a lot of opportunity and, for a venture capitalist to get their message out there. And I love hearing I, the venture capitalist perspective. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, finally, the podcast world has opened for for bad people. This is the first bad person to have a podcast ever. I I'm looking at this article. Um, so d- you read the whole thing, right? Yes. Okay. What's I? What's the like summary of the kind of carnage we can expect in World Woke War Three? So basically, he was saying this is this is what what made him write this article. So Elon Musk, uh, I don't know if you heard of that guy before. He's a I this, think this small so, Twitter yeah. account that he's I've seen yeah, him on he's Twitter. really trying to grow. Yeah, yeah, he's mostly like a, a meme guy. I don't know what else he does. Uh, and Elon Musk tweeted this incredible uh, 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 thread about like how he thinks that he can end the war between Russia and Ukraine. And basically said, this is how it's going to work. Ukraine-Russia peace. Uh, we're going to redo elections of annexed region under UN. 
And then he said, uh, basically, if we should let people in Ukraine vote, if they want Russia to be there or not, and if they say yes, Russia should stay. Great idea. And then obviously he added a poll, you know, under his tweet, because that's how you, that's how elections work. <laughs> insane uh and 59% of people said no on his plan so now obviously the plan is not going to work because you know people on twitter said it's it's a bad plan and he respected that you know uh, but anyway he was so uh, this guy was so upset because people were basically like replying to him being like fuck off yeah what are you even talking about and apparently, like, even, like, the president of Ukraine himself was just, like, accused Musk of, like, supporting Russia. And a bunch of people were just, like, this is, shut the fuck up, you know? Anyway, this guy now is is basically accusing the, the woke left mob of trying to uh, keep the Russia-Ukraine war going. And that's the only reason it's still going, because a bunch of Twitter people did not agree with Elon Musk's plans. Yes, exactly. And I I think we have to take full responsibility. You know, I, I am the reason. I think, you know, to me, it's like, obviously, this article is totally ridiculous. And Elon mm-hmm. Musk is completely ridiculous and a horrible person. But there is this sort of phenomenon on Twitter where anytime someone says even the most mildest thing about like mm-hmm. wanting peace in Ukraine, like someone can just be like, it's really sad how many people are dying. And then people will be like, you support Vladimir Putin, you know? So he does have like a, he, does, <laughs> he is a grain of something here. It's obviously very cynical and stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It, the thing is like, obviously, yes, would, would everyone, well, not everyone, same people would love peace. Yes. They don't want people in Ukraine dying. They want this war to be over. But to be like, I think one way to make it over is to give Russia what they want, which is Ukraine. That's an insane way <laughs> to make peace attainable. And it's like, no, that's actually basically giving them the war and be like, they won and now we have peace. I'm like, no, absolutely not. They should just leave Ukraine and that's how we have peace. Yeah, it's really, so this is like, okay, so I'm looking at some of this woke war three. What matters in this story is not that Musk was told off, but rather that a Twitter hive mind is using these same intolerant cancellation tactics that they use to shut down debate on domestic political issues in order to shape US policy towards Ukraine. They're doing so by demonizing dissent defaming opponents and closing off as ideologically unacceptable any path to peace or even de-escalation de-escalation what's wrong with me it's just like (laughs) i i mean this is uh you know to me it's like aren't people sick of like the cancel culture discourse at this point you know it it makes no sense 
yeah it makes no sense you literally have like these like world like armies and like uh governments are that are involved in this war and to be like no actually the reason this shit keeps happening it's not because of greed and uh fight over resources it's because a bunch of people on twitter keep this going and yeah, that's why no, it's, it's happening. I would say I would go ahead and say it lacks materialist analysis. You know, nothing to do Absolutely. with the natural gas in the sea outside of Ukraine. Uh, nothing to do with the, you know, the war for oil or uh, it's freaking, you know, water in Crimea or any of that. It's just like absolutely. Yeah, one of my favorite things thing about this article is the full disclosure that it's added in the in the middle of the article that says. Musk is a friend and I am an investor in SpaceX. I feel like you did not have to add that. We can tell. Yeah, I mean, I think you like, I think to abide by any sort of journalistic standards, you have to put that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, but you read the article and you're like, yeah, of course you're friends. And of course you're investing in uh, SpaceX. This is the vibe that you're giving. I would be surprised if, the disclosure was, I am not friends with Elon Musk and I'm not invested in any of his projects. Like, no, you own a Tesla. We get it. I mean, you know, I don't... I think the situation in Ukraine seems incredibly complicated and sad. And to me, mm -hmm. you know, when I see people, you know, trying to uh, manufacture consent for, like, nuclear war not being that bad after all it's like oh my god i know no it's insane i mean it's insane i obviously i know yeah russia's obviously so, aggressive yeah. but the, there's there's a certain cheering on of this war that is very uncomfortable i think you know absolutely it's a bunch of these freaks who really w just want to see like how nuclear weapons work now in yeah. action <laughs> they just like really want to see it and they're like okay to be fair, yes, they will affect like generations to come or whatever. But is it bad to have your nose in your forehead when you're born? No. <laughs> yeah, and it's very, I think they just, it's like a lot of like uh, people who are super mad at Vladimir Putin because of Hillary's loss, you know? And it's like they had yeah. literally never heard of Ukraine until February 2022. And they're just like, yeah, what if we just do regime change on this guy, uh, nuke Russia, and it's like, oh, no complications Oh, there. my God. I know. And 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 people, like, don't want to admit this because they fucking love war. Like, they love watching it. They're just so, like, like on both sides. They're just like, they're just like, oh, my God, look at these people. Like, I, I just hate the inspirational stuff for, like, posts about war, where they're, like, a picture of, like, uh, eight women holding like uh, AK-47s. I mean, like these brave women are fighting for this country. It makes me, it makes me so motivated to do more. I'm like, no, this is sad. This yeah. is very sad. Yeah, this yeah, should not be happening. Yeah, no, I'm sure yeah. these women want to be home or at their work or something. It was really weird when everyone was like horny posting about Zelensky for a while. I'll admit, even I know. even for, for like a second there, I was like, "Yeah, he's kind of hot," but I didn't mean I didn't mean to. He's not hot. He's collaborating no. with the far right of Ukraine. He's doing all kinds of terrible neolib shit. You yeah. know, I'm really sorry for what's happening to him right now, but 
<laughs> I would not uh I would not try to bang that guy, you know? I, I mean, I, I get it. It sucks, you know, like for like your literally first term or second. I'm not, I can't remember when he was elected exactly. And you're, your first time being president and then, and then you're immediately thrown into a war. Yeah, like, I would say, it's, yeah, it's not it's, great. I would say it's it would not be like great. one of the worst things that could happen. You know, it's just that you're exactly. like. Exactly. Especially when like you're like, you, you were in the entertainment industry before and this is like your first book role, I guess. I don't know. Uh, your first major role. Yeah. And they're like, okay, you have to fix so much now. It's all on you. Uh, but yeah, people are just falling for like doing this whole like, I'm like, it's a fucking war. You know, it's not, this is not fun. This is like, stop trying to romanticize what's happening. Uh, you know, like people are dying. They're not sitting there being like, yes, my sibling, uh, my my older brother has died. But you know what? We look so good on screen. This is fun. My favorite sentence from this article is, as long as this woke neocon alliance is allowed to set the terms of debate, of the debate, which is just, I don't know. There's no woke neocon alliance. There is a bunch of... <laughs> <laughs> it's not, this is always funny to me. Like when, when, it's so funny to me, like when you hear these people describe what the left is. Yeah. And, and then they're like, and they're like, yeah, uh, the extreme left, you know, like Joe Biden. And I'm like, what? <laughs> is going on yeah who, who are you even talking about here like come on so this is like yeah yeah it's very uh the the did you hear about the kids in litter boxes thing they like there's a oh, yes. story that's yes. like circulating on the right i think it was even on joe rogan's podcast that kind of blew it up that like a student identified as an animal so they had to have a litter box for him or her. I, yeah. I don't know this person's yeah. gender, them. I don't know. But um, people just like really believed this and there's like no evidence that it happens and it's been disproved a lot of times, but they just want to believe like, okay, this is. Uh... No, I, I saw I saw someone, uh, someone shared a thread about it and basically kind of like posted every tweet from like a politician or like a far right figure or something like kind of basically like spreading this 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 thing but it turns out that there are schools that do have that but not for the reasons that are being uh you know spread like they're not because there are uh students who identify as uh, cats or whatever and that's why they have them it's because some so, okay first some janitors use them for cleaning and uh. that's why they're available like, cause like if a student like vomits or something, they just like, you know, uh, use it because it's, it's very, it's, you know, it's, they do the job. And apparently the first time they've been used is after the, uh, 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 I can't remember which area it was, but there was like a, a one of these like famous school shootings that happened. And that's why they have them because when the, the kids are locked in class and they can't go to the bathroom or one of them just like vomits or something. That's why they use a cat litter for. So it's, it's extremely sad to why this first started. That's it's so sad. Because of school shootings. Yeah. 
So to make it be like, no, it's actually because kids identify as cats. Like, shut the fuck up. That's so sad. Like, I didn't know that. yeah. And it's just like, it's just like one of those things where it's just like, do people like, I mean, like, do they know it's a lie and they just keep spreading it? Or they actually do believe that. And that's why they spread this lie. I can't, I can't tell. I don't think it matters to them, really, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, very frustrating. It yeah, it sounds attractive enough as a story. Uh, and I think that's why. They're just like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's completely fine. You know, like this is... Uh, like if they, if, they, if they know that their base is going to believe it and that's going to make them hate the people on the left more, then it does not matter. It does the job. So I wanted to talk about this other terrible man that's not Elon Musk, which is uh, Larry Summers. And uh, he worked in the Clinton administration. Uh, he was the secretary of the Treasury for Clinton and the director of the NEC for Obama. And, you know, he, so here's what he wrote. He's, he's my uh, reply guy. Um, so given dismal productivity growth likely caused by quiet quitting, wage inflation will have come down significantly if sustained two months near 2% inflation is to be attained. I do not understand the basis for believing this is likely without a meaningful recession. So basically what he's saying here is we have to have a recession because inflation is being caused by wages being too high and part of the reason the wages oh. are too high is quiet quitting which is just wow i mean this the fact that this guy was like a meaningful part of government making economic decisions insane i think it's just the the use of the word meaningful recession itself i've never heard it put that way yeah i mean there's just like the recession in general, like the Fed raising the interest rates to the point that it is going to create, it, it might already be creating a recession, but that it's just, it, 2023 is looking a lot worse. Um, Elizabeth Warren has been uh, speaking out about this a few days ago. She tweeted, um, Chair Powell, that's the Fed chair, has said that the Fed's mm -hmm. rapid interest rate hikes will bring pain for working families and even admitted it won't lower food or gas prices. Throwing Americans out of work with a recession is not the solution to fight inflation. Yeah, he testified before Congress and I saw her grilling him. You know, I mean, it's weird because there seems to be this acknowledgement among mm -hmm. the elite that, like, this is going to create a ton of pain for people and that it might not really help inflation that much to create this recession because it's going to be like a, a lot of this is caused by supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, some of them have said the quiet part out loud. Uh, I think there was an interview or a speech of Chairman Powell uh, uh, a while back where, you know, was talking about how this is going to give uh, reduce, basically reduce the power of labor, you know? So it's like, we've been seeing all these union efforts and people basically being able to like tell their boss to fuck off and, and like post about it in anti-work and, you know, have a viral video of like, Hey, you know, suck my dick for, you know, being like a fucking horrible 
boss and the, you know that was caused on some level by the fact that there were a lot of jobs available and you know they don't they don't want workers to have this level of power anymore so you know i think that that's that that's part of the impetus for doing this and it's also just like you know there are so many ways that you could potentially uh reduce inflation like you could like you could legislatively like prevent price gouging you could be like okay you are actually legally not allowed to charge this much for this period of time mm -hmm. you know but instead they're gonna put like you know i don't know a million people out of work with this interest rate hike I know it's it's insane to me that they're like basically well the way out of out of this inflation is for people to suffer more and yeah. then but the good part the good the good thing is after inflation is done they can come back to work where we'll pay them less and they will still suffer but you know it's good for us is that okay with everyone okay good good I'm glad we're on the same page yeah and it's just like I mean obviously like you know, wages have not risen as fast as things like rent and the cost no. of food. And this is just basically an acknowledgement. Hey, if the wages ever did start rising to the point where this stuff might start to feel more attainable, we would literally create a recession to make sure that wages never catch up. It's exactly. And it's insane because like, like, we we both live in New York, so we know this, but like right after the pandemic, like, you know, it's people came back to New York and stuff like fucking like rent prices, most of them have like doubled. So and that's okay. And that's fine. And there has that's completely fine to an apartment to go from three thousand dollars to six thousand dollars. But if workers ask for like a two dollar raise an hour or something, now that's insane. Yeah, it's pretty i mean there to me what's weird about this is just like how open it is it's they're like they're not yeah. even trying to hide it at all they're just like yeah we're gonna make you guys suffer you know and uh oh but, yeah um i say i think that's yeah, i think that's the one thing one of the things that came out of the pandemic is that the government officials and became like more like bold telling you like to go fuck off and die so like, oh, we can do that now. I saw, uh, yeah, journalist uh, Ken Klippenstein, who's been on this podcast before, he tweeted an article this morning. He's been talking about this, paying drum on mm -hmm. this for a long time, but uh, some 58.9% of economists say they think the Fed will raise interest rates too much and cause unnecessary economic weakness. So there seems to be, you know, even somewhat broad consensus among mm -hmm. economists that what they're doing is not great you know and it's like yeah i mean america has no like meaningful welfare state like if people are out of work i mean you know in some cases there's unemployment but it's like not enough to be not able enough. to pay rent anywhere absolutely not yeah absolutely not and it's it's crazy because you you also like have like, and then you'll have them like be like after a while I'm like wow I don't know why the houseless population is growing what's causing that and it's like are you are you fucking with me right now like what do you mean why is happening and then and then tell me that you want to cause a meaningful recession 
Yeah. And it's just like, do you not see how things are connected or are you stupid? Yeah, I was reading that, like, you know, in terms of people who are displaced, like, um, you know, from, like, basically, you know, a huge rent hike or whatever. Like, a lot of people just don't get homes after that. They just remain homeless. So, you know, I think yeah. there's... I think there's this idea that like, oh, you know, people are just going to move somewhere cheaper, but it's like a lot of people can't find somewhere cheaper, you know, and. Exactly. What, what, like, is, cause like, what is cheap? Like cheaper does not mean it's cheap. It just means it's less expensive, still yeah. expensive. Yeah. The rent situation just like all over the country is out of control right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, like, it's not just the rent itself; it's the requirements that come with it. Yeah, it's how much you have to pay just to get the get into the apartment. They're like, yeah, this apartment is like two thousand dollars, but you know, you have to make one million a year. Is that okay? You have to make forty uh, times the rent, and you also have to yeah, pay yeah. a broker's fee for a lot of apartments in New York. Exactly, and first month, last month, uh, security deposit, uh, handshake fee uh whatever like so much shit that are just like fees 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 it was like bro like how did this go from a two thousand dollars to me paying almost 10k just to get in i don't want to give you that money so i this kind of brings me to the last thing that i wanted to talk about it today which was there was this pro publica investigation um so basically there is a property management uh, software that has been helping the nation's mm -hmm. biggest landlords and property mass uh, managers jack up prices together. So it's called RealPage. And basically, like, this is allowing landlords to, you know, share d data on what competitors charge and uh, also, you know, meet privately and basically collude to set the prices, you know, like, okay, you know, we're all charging $3,000 for this, you know, I mean, it's like, a lot of the collusion is happening from, you know, uh, an this is what the, the person who tweeted this, she said, some think algorithms can't collude. But a former FTC official says, sub quote, some guy named Bob for the algorithm, is it okay? for a guy named Bob to collect confidential price strategy data information from all the participants in a market and then tell everybody how they should price. If it isn't okay for a guy named Bob to do it, then it probably isn't okay for an algorithm mm -hmm. to do it either. What does the company have to say for itself? They just capture a truer picture of price elasticity and affordability hiding behind economics jargon to price gouge. and. You know, this is just, mm -hmm. it's horrible. Uh, one of the things that was like, you know, I think we've all kind of known uh, on some level, but is confirmed here, um, is that they are uh, pushing out low price tenants and sitting on empty units instead yeah, of yeah. dropping the prices. Um, so, you know, basically like, it, they're doing the math and figuring out like, yeah, it's actually like a better financial strategy for us to leave units empty and, you know, just be able to charge more for the ones that we do have versus like pricing it so that, you know, everybody can afford. And it's like, we all see, we all know that that's happening, but to like see it confirmed here, it's just like, ugh, it's really, 
I know it's it's insane, especially like you're saying that you know basically they talk together and they have this network, basically of it's 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 basically just like legal organized crime. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's a cartel. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. And for it to be okay and just like by protected by laws and stuff like that, it's it's yeah. But people on I have people on Twitter telling me that I should be nicer to landlords and they're act, they're people just like us. So I'm not sure which side to take. Uh, is it the one person yelling at me who's definitely not a landlord or uh, this article? So yeah. who knows? We will oh, never know. People who call landlords housing providers have got to be like the most annoying reply guys on Twitter. Housing. I've providers. never heard. I've never heard that one, and it's so funny to me. Housing provider? Yeah, housing provider. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, what's happening with housing is, you know, it's just, it's pretty infuriating right now, because we do have this huge, huge rental crisis where apartments yeah. are extremely expensive, and, you know, the main sort of solution put forward is to build stuff, which sounds great, but they only build things that are really expensive. And so you have to wait, you know, multiple years for somebody like, you know, even middle class to be, to have an impact, you know, or whatever. So it's just like, it's this very urgent situation. And is, yeah. they're like, yeah, you know, I don't know, let's uh, throw up some more condos for oligarchs. And then eventually that will, help you probably and uh, you know yeah i don't even know how like it, like even like i know most of these theories don't work in in like actual life but like even with this i'm just like how do you think this will eventually help people it doesn't make any sense to me like trickle down economics but with like for apartments and yeah. like they're, no they're just gonna stay empty forever yeah that's all that's gonna happen it's yeah. not somehow magically they'll just draw like I don't know people will afford them. I I don't know it's crazy. I, like I every time I go to Portland I see that which is like there's a there's a new building uh, with so many apartments and then there are so many other houseless people and the, like it just feels like it cold rates. Like every time I see a building there are more people with no houses yeah. and I'm like interesting how this problem can be solved. But they're like, no, how about we give the money to cops to like push these people away? Yeah, that's that sounds to solve it. Yeah, it's disgusting. I'm thinking about Minneapolis specifically, like that mayor is a real darling of the real estate industry. I mean, as is New York's, but, you know, Jacob Frey mm -hmm. came to national yeah, yeah, prominence yeah. as being the guy to do nothing about his uh, killer police force, you know, and it's like Minneapolis is like the city that people are like oh you know this is an example of how to do it right because their rent prices although they're still rising haven't risen as fast as you know some other places you know maybe because of zoning changes maybe because of new construction but also maybe because it's minneapolis and it's fucking cold and there's exactly. a limit of people that want to live there you know like it's freezing there exactly you know? and uh you yeah. know but meanwhile it's like the guy, Jacob Frey, has been clearing all of these homeless encampments and like being homeless in Minneapolis in the winter, like it's incredibly I dangerous. Know. You know, I was talking it's to a, somebody. It's a death penalty. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was talking to, yeah. 
I was talking to someone who was an unhoused person in Minneapolis and, you know, he was talking about needing to like sleep in porta potties during the winter to find a porta potty to sleep in. Jesus. Um, because I mean, it's just freezing, freezing cold and they have enough money to give everyone vouchers for hotels. But you know, instead it's just like die on the street. We don't care. We're collecting your tent, you know, Jesus Christ. It's so bad. These people are just so insanely evil. Yeah. The the housing providers, yeah. The housing providers, they're awful. I cannot wait for more terms like this. Truly, like, uh, yeah, like just like to take something evil and just like give it a different name. Uh, would love to hear what prisons are called next. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Man mandatory hotels, something like that. I don't know. Housing. Uh, Free housing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all yeah, inclusive. Housing. Yeah, so you, you get food. It's it's like a hostel, but like you know, you stay inside forever, or like for how long the government wants you to. It's yeah. a great project. Yeah, people should uh, invest in it more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god, these people are ridiculous. So, all right. Uh, so coming up next, we have an interview uh, with Connor Hublieb. And um, he's really gonna, he's really great. You're really gonna enjoy him. He's running for uh, Kentucky's fifth con uh, <laughs> congressional district. And um, thank you so much for listening. We're excited to be back and we hope you keep tuning in. All right. Sweet. Okay. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. We are here with a candidate for Congress from Kentucky, Connor Halbleib. Um, I'm so excited to be interviewing you. Mohanan's here also. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Yeah. Thank you for having me, y'all. I'm excited to be here very southern way of uh, expressing <laughs> your excitement here um, so before we jump into some of the issues tell us a little bit about your district right so my district is the kentucky fifth district uh there's six districts in kentucky and this is the district that's it surrounds all of the Appalachia region of Kentucky. So, uh, you know, the, the coal mines and the, and the, the hills and everything, that's all my region. It's uh, just a qu few quick stats about it. It is the second poorest district in the country. It's the whitest district in the country, and it's the most rural district in the country. So it's, uh, it's a little bit unique. So the, when you describe, like, the whitest districts in the country, my immediate thought is, like, you're – a Democrat running in an area that probably runs pretty heavily Republican. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But um, this, this district also is pretty interesting because it has a had, it has had a history of labor, uh, you know, for a very long time. And it, that history has kind of gone away a little bit, but it's still there. And the district used to be one of the most Democrat, uh, democratically safe districts in the country. So there's, there's some history, uh, some unique history to the district. I totally like to me that, that I, you know, I, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot for the past few years is like, what, what was the kind of process like of going from like a very safe, 
blue, um, very like labor friendly district with a long union tradition to like full on uh, Trump standing. And, you know, I, I obviously understand there's a lot of factors that contribute to that. But like, what's your view been of that process? Yeah, it's a it's a complex and it you know just an interesting process. It's not the not the best for me right you know right now being a Democrat running, but it's it's very interesting. It's um, you know, uh, it's had a county in it, Elliott County, which for the first time ever voted for a Republican, uh, in the 2016 election. It it had never voted for a Republican in, in its entire history. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it it's a part of the situation from Southern Democrats transitioning into Republicans. Uh, you know, busing was was an issue kind of more in the Louisville area, but uh, expanded into Eastern Kentucky. Uh, labor rights just being uh, dismantled over over many years. Coal withering away. It's a whole bunch of things that have transitioned a solidly Democratic area to a very solidly Democrat or Republican area. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, you know, I think there's this idea that has probably mostly gone away by now, but like, you know, back in like 2016, 2020, that like, you know, if uh, we could just like share the good news about Bernie Sanders and have a candidate who was very pro-worker, but not sort of explicitly woke, that people would be like, oh, we get it. We don't have to vote for Trump. And to me, that's just always seemed like, you know, I've spent some time in uh, conservative parts of the country, even in Appalachia. And it, it, it's like, definitely seems like people really like Trump. <laughs> I don't know. Well, what they, you think. well they, they, they do. They like Trump. But, uh, you know, Trump, he never really did anything for them. And I think people forget how quickly memories sometimes fade or how people can transition more than you think in, in Kentucky in 2016, our primary uh, was basically after, especially the democratic primary was basically after, uh, you know, it really mattered. Uh, but, st- but still in Kentucky, Bernie Sanders outperformed Hillary Clinton and Eastern Kentucky, especially if you look at the numbers uh, to an enormous degree. So there is, you know, maybe the population, maybe the numbers don't, you know, can't uh, reflect that, always but there is a sense of uh very progressive uh and very uh labor focused uh people still in the area and it's just how do you harness that is the population big enough but but it is there it's uh you know any rural area has got some pretty interesting uh politics that it's it's hard to pin down yeah absolutely no i i i saw uh obviously i'm going through your uh twitter account just to see uh, i feel like that's the best way to get to know people and their opinions and there's something you tweeted about, like uh, how this nation fetishizes the their constitution in a in a way that no other country does. And I mean, I'm reading some of the replies to it, and people were like, "No, but the, you know, it's it's important. Like, you have to follow the constitution. You have to do." It. But what what do you mean by that when you say that you your obligation is to the people? Right. So I, you know, that that tweet got generated some, uh, like you said some interesting replies to it. You know, my whole thing is that uh, the Constitution is not the Bible, first of all. It's not a holy yeah. document. But uh, it, it is kind of weird when we fetishize the Bible, too. It, <laughs> well, it, <laughs> it, 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 it is weird, too, but I, 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 I can understand that. And I can, I can, I may not agree with everything there, but it, it makes it, it makes sense. And if people want that for their church or, or their uh, religious, then, then that's fine. But the Constitution, inherently, we know we can change it. And we know that 
uh, it is a living document. And and when I said that uh, other mm-hmm. countries don't do this, I was right. Uh, most people, most places, most countries in the world don't have a constitution that uh, that they use in the same way that we use here. Like we are so kind of le- like law focused in a way that means that we can blame uh, a lack of progress on the law or the constitution. We can say, oh, well, the constitution, like, I know these are problems that they had never thought about, but the constitution doesn't say anything about it. So we can't do anything about it. And that's just not the case. I mean, more other constitutions in the world is a kind of guiding light or a set of values that we appreciate, but it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it controls, you know, every aspect of our life, of our life. And uh, literally by saying something I thought was pretty kind of mild, you know, mild criticism of it. It's uh, it, it shows how we need to separate ourselves from the paradigm that we're living in uh, currently. Absolutely. And I feel like the other thing is, you know, like, like you said, people are like, oh, no, you're not. You're just supposed to follow it like it is. But when when Republicans want something changed, then somehow the Constitution is fluid. Yeah. And you can change stuff. Absolutely. I mean, just if we take a, a Roe v. Wade, for example, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it was we've been living under uh, protections for uh, women's rights and for abortion for for reasonably long time, but actually not that long historically. And uh, the same constitution can say that uh, that women have access to abortion, but only 50 years later, a uh, a group of people who are supposed to look at the constitution objectively say, well, it doesn't say that. I don't I don't see much in, in way of their argument. So uh, it just meant to say that everything's political and that doesn't mean that we don't have, uh, like I said, guiding lights or guiding principles, but uh, we need to take a step back and say, we're not here to serve the constitution. The constitution's here to serve us. Mm-hmm. And if it's not serving us, then we need to look into that. I mean, I think Absolutely. that the, the fetishizing of the constitution, it, that is also political, you know, like, I mean, the constitution was written to protect the interests of a bunch of wealthy slave owners or men and i think you know part of the reason it is fetishized is because we still as a society at least the people at the tippy top really want to keep that same power structure absolutely i mean you know the constitution was written by like you said a very 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 small percentage of the people at the time so even if uh, things were opened up at the time for everyone to consider and voice their opinions on it. Uh, I guarantee you the Constitution wouldn't be the same as it is. Uh, so it, it's it's absolutely there to protect certain interests. And uh, maybe some people today wish they could be a part of that that small, small group. Or maybe, And some people really appreciate those interests. You know, we don't have the word merchant anymore, but, you know, the, the businessman wants certain protections that the Constitution provides. And, uh, and as know, well as people, the business girl boss. And the business girl boss, the business girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but but you know th- th- there is no way to say that the constitution uh, protected you know women's rights at, at 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 all. So if we're going to protect women's rights, which I believe we should, we need, either need to change the constitution or kind of change the way we uh, approach uh, the constitution. So speaking of reproductive rights, uh, what's the situation in Kentucky broadly and in your district? What's happening right now? So, you know, my district is the eastern portion of the the state, and it's actually a, a region where if you look at the map, it doesn't necessarily show how big it really is. It's a big district, but, you know, the roads going through it are, they're not straight roads, they're windy, they're through mountains and hills, and it, it it's hard to get anywhere. And the only uh, current... Um, abortion clinic is in Louisville, which is uh, not close to the area. And 
Um, Kentucky had trigger laws in place for when this took, for when uh, Roe v. Wade were, was overturned, and now it's kind of it's in the legal system to where you know it seems one day it's open and the next day it's not, and that's that's essentially not open. I mean, you know that that essentially means it's 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 not functioning. So as of now, um, you know, abortion is is very very limited in the state of Kentucky, and it's it's a big problem. It's a big problem for the people of Appalachia, a big problem for the people of Kentucky, and. Um, you are seeing a lot of, you know, uh, Republicans who are backing down a little bit because um, it may be the rhetoric because they see that this is not going to go well. But the people of Kentucky, even the people of Eastern Kentucky, have rallied around um, abortion rights and rallied around women's women's health, um, which has been inspiring to see. Even the Republican people? No, they're just hiding. But the you know the the people <laughs> people are uh, yeah. are are pushing back. Uh, a lot more people than you would think, you know, a lot of people who, um, who, who may not vote or may not have the same cultural values. They mm-hmm. do see what the impact that, that this will have. I mean, I would imagine that there's probably some people who are otherwise conservative that still think there should be abortion access, both because, you know, it's a personally affecting issue for a lot of people or their friends, but also because, you know, if the way that you come to, conservatism is because you don't want a lot of government intrusion in your life well what could be more intrusive than government uh, in your body you know right and i think i think that kentucky along with a lot of places in the country have seen oh there's there's a there's real impacts and consequences when this happens uh, um you know are we going to force a like what are the steps you're going to take because this means that you're criminalizing something essentially and what does that actually mean? And I think a lot of people in Eastern Kentucky uh, have, have have seen that it's okay to step out and say that this isn't right, um, which is, like I said, it's very inspiring. Now, hopefully that makes its way to the legislature and makes its way uh, to some of the leadership. And uh, we'll see next session if, if that changes. So what's like the worst possible case scenario here? Maybe not even the worst possible, but the worst realistic case scenario, you know? Right. That, yeah, that's that's interesting because, you know, um, it doesn't look like the Republicans in the in the state house have the have the stones to start throwing women in prison. But what it does mean is that there's going to be uh, it, I think the worst case scenario is that the clinic in Louisville shuts down and then there's there's no easy uh, places to get abortions in the state. And remember, we're surrounded by uh, West Virginia, Tennessee, Ohio and Indiana. In Missouri and those aren't uh, those aren't safe havens either. So yeah, that's so the worst thing. The closest is no... place would be Illinois, right? To get Pro- yeah, abortion. Chicago and Illinois would probably be the closest place to, yeah. to reasonably feel safe. Um, and they are uh, quite. Yeah, I mean, Illinois, I know, is dealing with like a massive influx of people from all over, you know, from many red states trying trying to get abortions there, and they they have set up additional infrastructure, uh, but there's only so many doctors, you know, and, uh, I mean, one state is not supposed to be able to serve many, many states, you know? No, that's not how they're designed. And they've got their, you know, Illinois and other states have got their own problems that they're dealing with. And, you know, I, I would, I would thank, I thank God that they're willing to take in Kentuckians, but I understand if Kentucky and surrounding states might not be their, their top priority when it comes to uh, the budgets and everything else.
So what has your campaign been like so far? You know, you're running against somebody who's been in Congress for a very long time, uh, mm -hmm. has a lot of power in a super red district where, the, you know, the numbers probably don't look good for any Democrat. Like, for you, you know, how are you approaching this, like, both in your minds and in your actions? Right. So I take my campaign very realistically. I, I know my chances and I, and I know what I'm up against, but mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pushing towards my advantages. You, you know, I'm 30 years old. My mm -hmm. opponent is 84 years old. Yeah. So there's already obviously some Not energy you being advantages. 84, but you being a jerk in Congress <laughs> that long. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. But also, yeah, that also plays into it. It's just like, my man it's it's time to let someone else and and that's and that's the thing but i what i do is i say i've got the energy to go places i've got the energy to travel and meet people and, and talk there's 33 counties in my district and so that's a lot of traveling but it's something that i can i can actually do uh so i just talk to a lot of people i travel as much as i can and mm -hmm. uh and just, just meet as many people and as far as just my presentation of my campaign i keep the issues very i keep them big but simple so I talk about healthcare and I talk about water specifically because those mm -hmm. are big issues that affect everyone. It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, and it's hard to really politicize them. Even healthcare, to a degree, you know, nowadays, even uh, you can say Medicare for all, and no one's gonna, uh, you know, hold their breath and, and, and or gasp at you. So uh, I keep things big and simple and say I'm here to make your life easier, make your life more stable, and say you will have clean water come out of your tap. Uh, so you and your family don't have to worry that the water is poisoning you. Uh, is that something that you would, you would like? And people would say, yes, yes, it is something I would like. It's so, so that's how I campaign. It's unfortunate that there's people that are just like, hmm, I'm on the fence. Let's keep <laughs> voting for the guy who's making poison come out of the tap. Right. And, uh, you know, so the, the water thing, especially in, in Martin County, a very uh, a county that has seen a lot of struggle uh, after coal went away, uh, in the year 2000, there was a specific accident that took place where a coal slurry fell into uh, drinking water. And ever since then, the rates of cancer have been higher. The rates of uh, all sorts of diseases have been higher in the area. There's been problems accessing the water. There's a smell and a color that comes out of the tap. And I'd like to say, hey, I, I don't actually demonize my opponent that much. I say if people know who he is. They can see if he's a good person or not. And I say, hey, he was in office 20 years when that accident took place uh he built up a lot of political capital if i was him and had built up that political capital i would have cashed in every political favor i ever could possibly have to make sure the people of my district have clean drinking water and the fact that 22 years later there's still an issue shows you uh where his priorities really lie absolutely yeah because like you said he had the time to do all of this it's you know winning another term is not is not going to be the time for him to fix it that's it uh, and it's crazy that, you know, like you're like promising all of these like changes and good things. And I feel like most Republicans who, you know, run, it's 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 less. Hey, this is what I'm giving you. And more like if you elect this Democrat, things will get worse, even though I can't imagine how things would be worse. Yeah. Right now, they're just resorting to like imaginary pedophilia, basically. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. It, it, luckily, Kentucky is um, is not had a ton of that kind of politics it's had a little bit of it but you know especially yeah. in my district you know my district doesn't there are kind of things about my district like i said being the whitest district means that i don't really race really isn't an issue in in, in the district so i can kind of focus my campaign like i said immigration is not a really big big issue because we're in kentucky we're not in texas 
so I can focus my campaign on things that I know that Republicans and Democrats could 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 all agree on, and uh, and which has mm-hmm. been a benefit to me. Not and 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 I let people know, hey, you know my position on these things, such as immigration, and, uh, you know, such as as trans rights, and I make those known. But as far as the day to day campaigning, it's not that big. Of, it's it's not what is on people's minds. So mm-hmm. what could be done to bring clean water to your districts, and what have people been doing in the meantime? Well, I think what needs to be done, it needs that all the water systems and basically all utilities needs to be publicly owned and operated. There's a level of, uh, you know, control and a level of, of, of regulation there that you just don't get from private entities. I mean, in Martin County, they tried to, and they did sell off the, uh, the water rights to a private company, uh, saying that it would help the people, but all it did really was raise prices and didn't uh, improve uh, quality. So I think that's the big thing is that I'm here to say that I'm not here to sell off any of our utilities any of our public assets that those are for the people and um if that means a a a partnership between federal and local and state and local control then, then then that's fine but as long as you keep that you know clean water is a priority and you say we're going to control it um then it's our responsibility and you can blame you know you can blame us and, and the federal government and the state government if things go wrong and there's real accountability and that's that's what i want to see and because it's these issues aren't complex. I mean, we've had clean drinking water for a very long time in this country, but they take money and they take time. Uh, they take actual people who actually care about the issue. We're not reinventing the wheel here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty basic stuff. Yeah. So before we uh, started the interview, you and I were talking offline a little bit about the uh, impact of the Green New Deal or uh, just what climate justice would look like in a district that's, you know, been uh, so heavily, you know, the economy has has been coal, right, for a lot of Mm -hmm. it. To what extent Mm -hmm. is that still true? uh, Well, 90% of Kentucky's electricity still comes from coal. Damn. So even if... Even if wow. uh, there aren't as many jobs as there, you know, direct jobs as there once were in the coal industry, the coal industry still has a massive effect on the on the state, uh, mm-hmm. or on the Commonwealth, and uh, and on the people. So it still has a, a huge amount of control over the area. And are people still are are there a lot of people still working in the coal industry? As far as numbers, no, there aren't that there there just aren't that many people working in the coal industry. But there is that sense of history, and there are still communities that do. Uh, kind of near the West Virginia and Virginia, Kentucky, you know, border, there are communities that still have, uh, you know, coal jobs and they're good paying jobs and uh, they have a lot of political sway. Uh, the thing to do, I think, is to um, say, hey, I'm a supporter of the Green New Deal. No one mm-hmm. really in Kentucky thinks coal is going to come back, you know, as far as providing more and more jobs, but say, hey, yeah. as we transition, uh, you know, maybe Kentucky takes a little bit longer than other states. Uh, maybe it's a little bit more difficult to provide uh, wind, solar, nuclear uh, in certain areas. But as we do, we're going to make sure that peop- if anyone has lost a job, they- we will make sure that they have a job that is- has the same amount of income. So no one loses any income. Uh, you know, you 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 kind of deafen any sort of blow and you also make their lives easier at the same time. We're going to provide uh, we're going to provide educational services. And not just you know coding services, but we're going to make sure you're going to medically. You have no medical debt. You have no student debt. Uh, you provide services as you're ch- transitioning, and I think that's the thing. A lot of Democrats, you know, when Hillary Clinton came in 2016 and said we're going to put all the coal miners out of, out of, out of a job, uh, that was terrible messaging. Yeah, she was you, really you good to... at messaging 
she was just great at saying things that made it seem like she was You're trying like, to get oh. people to not vote for her exactly but you i think the big thing is as democrats you say hey we're going to do this we all see it it's not you know it's the elephant in the room but as we do it we will provide for you to make sure that you, your standard of living doesn't drop and everything else it's the combination that i think uh eases people and people are fine with they understand that is um in terms of uh the jobs that people have now what like what are the What's the economy of your district? What are the big employers? Well, outside of, like I said, coal still has some, uh, not as many jobs, but still provides an economic impact. So that's one. And uh, the second biggest big one is actually prisons. Uh, my opponent mm. has spent a lot of time bringing federal prisons and even private prisons uh, into the area, um, which I don't think is a very sustainable or very healthy way to grow an economy. Um, so kind of those two have been the biggest things. And then uh, outside of that, uh, in some counties, the biggest inlays of, of, of money come from federal disbursements. They come from uh, Social Security, uh, Medicare, and Medicaid, and uh, food stamps. So it's actually provide, in some counties, the majority of, of, of economic inlays. Uh, so there, there aren't a, a ton of really healthy, sustainable uh, ways of growing economically. Uh, the way I think you solve that is you say, hey, we're going to be a part of a bigger system. You know, we in Eastern Kentucky cannot do this by ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, but if if we provide big benefits, like I said, Medicare for all, uh, all student debt relief and, and free public college uh, for people, then people are saddled with that kind of debt and they can, uh, you know, allow people to kind of build their own economies in their communities. But mm -hmm. they can't do that if they're if they've got, you know, a hundred pound weight on their back. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the Democratic Party at large has been kind of hand wavy about it. I, I think, as you referenced earlier, uh, there's the uh, like the, the learn to code maxim that they <laughs> threw at everyone for a while. And yeah, that that obviously helps certain yeah. industries if there's a huge yeah. uh, influx of of. of of new coders uh but it's it's just not realistic and nor is it's something we should expect from people i i believe in people enough to say that if people have uh you know stability in their lives if they're comfort in their lives you know first of all people still want to work you know you still want to get out and be creative and be a part yeah. of something and, and and everything else but uh you know people will will, will figure out ways to you know to to grow the economy and this and that but in order to do that uh, like I said, we can't have this weight just massively uh, holding down people. And that's kind of where my campaign comes in. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like a lot of people, when they say, like, you know, people don't want to work anymore or any of that stuff, I'm like, no, they just don't want to work at these jobs you're forcing them to do. Yeah, I don't want to work for minimum that. wage yeah. anywhere. It's, it, does, it does not seem fun. I do not want exactly. to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like you said, like providing relief and not having that debt and stuff, people will still work. Everyone wants to, like no one wants to stay home and do nothing, mm -hmm. obviously. These just people just want to work the jobs that they want to work where they feel fulfilled. Exactly. I feel like, never, yeah. There's, there's, sorry, but there's never a finish of that sentence. It's like people don't want to work. No, they don't want to work there and they don't want to work for <laughs> that money. Like people, yeah. people want to work. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what uh, that's why I think people sometimes forget about the coal industry is that uh, for a long time, the coal industry did provide actually very good wages relatively. So mm -hmm. that's one reason why people wanted to do it. But also coal and the unions and everything provided a sense of community and provided people access to a, a power system that personally uh, without out of the coal unions and everything they, they couldn't they could never access. 
So uh, if you give people access to that, say, hey, you're part of this system and you've got power and you've got agency, uh, people, yes, people will want to work and be, be part of something. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, in terms of like, you know, sort of longer term, your campaign, but also beyond, like, what do you think, like, is the best way to kind of, you know, get people on board with a type of politics that is is going to to have these benefits for them? I think the biggest thing is, um, and and maybe this is the biggest thing that I can be a part of is is saying that, you know, for a long time, uh, there hasn't been any Democrats. You know, if I'm looking at this just from electoral position, you know. Uh, there hasn't been any Democrats who have, have stood up in the region. I meet a lot of people who say, you're the first person who's, you know, I can't believe you're going up against this guy. He was going to run unopposed. He's ran, he ran unopposed in 2016. And some of the other people who ran against him, I, I put I put my hat out to anyone who, you know, who, or tip my hat to anyone who puts their name in, in, the, in the ring. But they weren't really trying. I think in order to, you need to show people, I'm willing to fight for you. And maybe that doesn't mean I'm, I can, you know, succeed this this one time, but I'm here for you. Um, and I think people just, people really l- look to that and people say, oh my God, there's someone out there who beyond all the odds and everything else is is, is putting up a fight, is standing up for them. Um, and a lot of places like Eastern Kentucky mm-hmm. have people felt forgotten. And you just remind them you're not forgotten. I've, I'm thinking about you and I'm fighting for, for you however I can. Awesome. So how can our listeners learn more about you, uh, support your campaign, donate to your campaign? Yeah, all my links are in, uh, you can find a lot of information on my website, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, four, the number four, Kentucky.com. And then, uh, as you said, Mahanid, I'm very active on Twitter. That's probably the place I'm most active, uh, Connor underscore Hallbleib. And then I'm also, uh, I am also on Facebook and Instagram, but you can find all that on my website and uh, that'd be the best way to get involved, see more of what I'm about uh, and, and everything else. Thank you so much, Connor. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys.